0: Our nurses, they've seen and heard pretty much every single patient question or query or concern and they can answer them now as well as we can. The expertise extends beyond just me and Kim.
1: Hey ReFam, my name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast that's all about the positives. We've talked at length about red flags when it comes to unqualified practitioners, dodgy techniques and sketchy sedation, but this time we're talking green flags. It's time to focus on the good signs to look out for, to know if your surgeon is qualified, the quoting process is legit and what a healthy pre-op and post-op process should look like. Alrighty, let's start with research. What kind of before and after should they be looking for? Like what's What's a good uh, example of a pre and post-op?
2: I would actually probably say before you get to looking at the before and afters, um, have a look at the surgeon's credentials. Make sure they actually are a surgeon. Um, And the qualification to look out for is F-R-A-C-S and then in brackets after that PLAS, (laughs) um, P-L-A-S. So that means that... uh, we in particular, Richard and I, are plastic surgeons who have done full specialist training of plastic surgery. Um, And the FRACS is the College of Surgeons and they're the only ones that can certify people as being um, uh, surgeons and accredited with with that plastic surgery qualification. Um, So uh, I know it's a bit of a lookout for, but um, if someone is really <laughs> calling themselves a cosmetic surgeon, it may be that then they don't actually have surgical training. So they may have a whole ton of letters after their name, um, but they may be a general doctor with not really any specialist qualification, um, sometimes a dermatologist, sometimes a GP, um, sometimes a thoracic there's someone who's a thoracic surgeon so they did have an fracs but it was in cardiothoracic surgery and they were doing
1: cosmetic what is, surgery what is thoracic surgery is
2: hearts I was and lungs hearts <laughs> well. i'm just like yeah. i feel like i'm gonna be dumb
1: <laughs> and whilst the breast is on the chest close. their so training close. So is close. certainly not uh involving those areas correct Uh, Well, we can keep on this train. So um, what else should you be looking for in a surgeon besides dazzling good looks?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think someone who is experienced in the procedure that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think well and truly gone are the days where you would go to someone who works at a major public hospital who does a lot of road trauma for a tummy tuck or a breast reduction.
1: Was there days that that
2: was...
0: Absolutely. Oh so well, people, yeah, yeah there's people, still a lot of
2: plastic surgeons that do, yeah, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So we focus purely on uh, body and breast. It's what we do all day, every day. And so you, you just get better and better and better um, the more you do. If you're, if you, if you're doing, you know, four days a week, you're doing trauma and hand surgery and skin cancers, and you're only doing breasts, you know, like one day a week, mm-hmm. you're just not going to be as experienced. You won't have done as many and you're not going to be as good.
2: And that's like when we did a bit more of overall body um, procedures and facelifts and nose surgeries. And, um, you know, I'd be the first one to say I wasn't doing enough of those procedures to um, keep doing them because the skill level drops.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: But it, it, it's more than just the surgeon. The, the whole practice becomes focused on, on managing the those types of patients. So uh, how your, your practice is set up, how you do photos, how the staff understands what's involved in those procedures and can explain them to prospective patients, how our nurses can look after them. So our nurses who are here looking after the patients, they've seen and heard pretty much every single patient question or query or concern and they can answer them now as well as we can. Whereas if if one day it's a skin cancer, the next day it's a carpal tunnel and then it's a hand fracture and then it's a breast reduction, there are so many different things and so many different questions. It's very hard for the whole staff to be expert in all of them as well. So it the expertise extends beyond just me and Kim. Um, so that, that would be... My advice to to find a surgeon and whether it's a face or a rhinoplasty or a breast or tummy, find someone who that, that's what their passion is, that's what their interest is, that's what the bulk of their work is.
1: Okay, so uh, that's, uh, that's really good for the surgeon. Obviously we've talked about their accreditation. Um, should you be looking at what kind of – I know obviously we've sp- spoken about that they should be operating at hospitals. Should you also be like researching the hospitals and seeing – what they are? Are there some hospitals that are good? Or it-
2: I would say not ne- not necessarily, but because if your surgeon is adequately credentialed, they are going to be operating at proper um, credentialed hospitals. Mm-hmm. So um, I operate at three different hospitals. I think Richard operates at two regularly. And patients often say to me, oh, which one's better? And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't take you to one, I'm at. one or <laughs> the other. I wouldn't take some patients to the third one because that's not so Like yeah. – I'm happy to do all the procedures that I do at all three of those hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question that often comes up, if they've done a bit of research through their health fund prior – and their health fund is always like, oh, check that the hospital will cover for this health fund. Like all the hospitals we work at um, have – an agreement with all of the health funds. That's Bupa. Um, Yes. <laughs> well, they still have an agreement with them, right. um, but it just means that um, with Bupa that uh, for Ramsey Hospitals, the patients then are, are further out of pocket. So that's an issue with that particular health fund. But it's still they still have coverage. Um, it's just a bit less than they would have elsewhere.
1: Um, so what about before and afters? What should people kind of be looking at for those pictures?
0: Yeah, so the thing is, is to look at a whole range, okay? So and, and there's different ways of looking at performance. So we do a lot of clinical before and afters, so we're very pedantic about that and we've talked about that. Uh, but I think it's also important to look at um, non-clinical photos because at the end of the day, you're not walking around in a clinical photo, you're walking around in real life. But the most important thing is to look for patients who have a similar starting point to you. So it's, it's there's no point in looking at a, a, f- a photo of a, a 19-year-old who's had a, a breast augmentation and you're a 60-year-old who wants a breast reduction and trying to get that particular outcome because you're coming from different directions, you're having different operations, so you ne- it needs to be like for like. So... And and Kim and I are in a position now. Where we like th- there's pretty rare, never, where a patient would come in and I like, I don't have anybody who looks like that, uh, who's had the same operation that you're after. So when, and if you look through our socials, you, you'll probably find we've got so many photos and our website, you'll find someone who's similar. But certainly in consultations, I will always make an effort to find someone who has the same issues as you have same body type and i've done the same operation so i think you know like for like find a photo of a or or find patients who've had a who have a similar starting point and have the end point that you want to get to and i think that's what's to look for
2: and the other thing on um, some of the glitzy websites and more dodgy um, places is that their pre and post photos are totally different so you know the pre is in bad lighting um down light shadows everywhere and then the post is and this is really common in um facial surgery or rhinoplasty surgery and the post photo is like great lighting patients smiling they're wearing makeup (laughs) and it's like you sure they they probably have a surgical difference but you know you put good hair and makeup on anyone um just look at the photos of uh, us on our website. I don't look like that every day. I,
0: I I have never worn makeup for any photo shoot. I just want that out there. Oh, Raya. Never. I think that's all oh, I, I think had, that's I like. I them dusting it. Oh, I, think was I paid $25. Of, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah, good, good hair and makeup and lighting can uh, make a huge difference. So make sure that, um, and I know Richard just touched on this and we've talked about it before, but... all of our clinical photos are incredibly standardised. Um, So, you know, taken from the same angle uh, all the time.
1: And I think what you said with, um, like, you know, having real-life images as well as clinical photos, because, again, like... They are really good and standardised but I would hazard a guess that most people don't love looking at themselves like standing to attention with like down lighting or, or whatever. It's probably not the best and maybe not putting your best foot forward anyway. So seeing real life images, I think a green flag is people who have – Uh, uh, practices who have tagged photos that are like real patients doing real things. If somebody's tagged photos, like – because obviously Instagram, as we all know, is like a curated feed and everybody's going to do that whether you're a business or not. But the tagged photos should probably tell a similar story. Like if what they're posting is the best of the best is very different to what people are tagging them in, then maybe be aware. Um, And there's also a lot of um, positive –
2: and photo sharing within private forums as well. That So we would often have patients that have come in for a consultation with us and um, also may have been on our girls page. They've often been in the Breast Reduction Australia group or the Tummy Tucks Australia group. Um, and so they've actually seen, um, and we are not, in those groups at all and so we we have no sway or no say of what goes on so um and that's a place where i believe patients are sharing good and bad stories and so if you're in that group and you're seeing um you know real patients posting real um images and talking about their their ups and downs of their journey because it it's never a 100% um smooth uh, but as long as they feel like, yeah, I called the rooms and I got um, spoke to the nurse and I'm feeling much more reassured and uh, all those little things that you'll tend to see in a lot of those forums.
0: Just on our clinical photos, and we are very obsessive about them, and it, it's generally the worst part of the consultation um, and you, you you have to go into our photo room in our horrible paper G-string undies <laughs> Uh, and I had a patient today, and she she knew it was coming, yeah, right? because everyone's seen our before and afters. Uh, You're not going to
2: make me wear that, that g-string, are you? Exactly.
0: So we hear that every single day. But you know, when when you then have surgery and then you have the photos, and you've you've got those undies on, and you you can see everything because often you know underpants will cover a lot of other other areas, and it'll hide a scar and whatever. Um, it, it patients always when they look at the before and afters after they've had surgery are so grateful they've got that before photo. Yeah.
2: It's very powerful, um, and and sometimes even if they they kind of I'm like oh my god, like, you know, because they're so happy with how they're going, it's like oh man, oh yeah, I forgot, oh, I blocked yeah. out that I looked like that before.
0: So it is confronting, but for any prospective patient, that the photo room. It, it, it's it's not pleasant that first consultation because you've also only just met us as well. And within sort of 10, 10 minutes or like a short time, you're, you're in that room having photos semi-naked. Um, but it is important and it's important for the reasons we've just said so that we've got actually very standardised photos. We're not hiding anything. We've got a standardised lens, standardised distance, standardised lighting, um, this is something that we've set up and been doing for uh, like probably nearly 10 years and it's actually such an important part of your uh, journey with us.
2: And the other thing is that we would don't share those images without your permission and we certainly don't, uh, until you've had your surgery, <laughs> um, there, there's nothing to compare so that the pre's are always you know your private images and um, until you've got an outstanding outcome, then we... And usually a lot of people are happy to share.
1: On that note, um, with talking about how people, you know, share their honest reviews, are reviews uh, an important tool? Should you be looking for people's five-star reviews or can there be a bit of a rort?
0: So this is currently the subject of a big review, which uh, unfortunately I think a lot of people who are involved in this review are not in, don't use social media in their practice they're scared of it they don't want to go down that path they're old school and they just want patients to be referred by GPS and unfortunately for them it's 2022 and that's not the way of the real of the world anymore and so I think reviews actually hold us to a very very high standard. Uh, and in many times, like for the more nuanced things, hold us to a higher standard than the medical board does. Uh, so I think it actually improves surgical outcomes and it, it improves patient journeys. And I, I think that it would be uh, it would be a terrible backward step if all reviews were removed. Um, and I I think we can't currently use reviews on Facebook because you can turn it off. So the medical board says, turn it off. Google, they can't stop because people, if you've got a website, then someone can write a Google review about you. So um, they can't actually stop that. Um, But the reality is people have their own, start their own Instagram page. They'll, they'll do reviews, good reviews, bad reviews uh, that no one is going to be out of control. And so I, I think this is how patients find out information. So, do you need to find someone who's got only five star reviews? You're never going to find someone who's got only five star reviews. I mean, obviously, and that's a good sign,
1: right? Like if you yeah. if somebody does only have five star they're reviews, curating. yeah, then you need to think about what, yeah. how they're getting them they're and where they're getting them from. Haven't done enough.
0: Well, so you want to look at the volume of reviews. So you want to see someone who's got like a lot of reviews. Like, obviously you want the majority, vast majority to be good. Yeah, yeah. That's not to say you're going
1: for the two stars.
0: <laughs> no, you, want to, you don't want to see someone who's got an average of two stars. But there's going to be – but it's important to, I think, look at you – know, like, look at the bad reviews. Yeah, and it's um, like
2: TripAdvisor and yeah. um, Google reviews if you're going to a restaurant. Like, yeah, I, I would often look at a handful of the really good ones and um, look at the bad ones and – you know, more often than not, and not saying that about necessarily about our patients and our reviews, but you know, the, you can you can see the crazy in some of that, particularly about restaurants. you know, they're nitpicking about something really minor, um, and you know, it's kind of like I think there's one that's been on our Google forever saying treats acne badly. Uh, it was no, like it was yeah well <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like d- not advertising to be an acne pr- surgeon and uh yeah like and we can't control that and so that an you know surgeon. A sort of the <laughs> what?
1: An acne surgeon <laughs> sort of sits there
2: forever but you you kind of if you're looking at mm. it you're not going to go oh, oh I'm yeah. not going okay, to see Richard for first augmentation sense. because yeah.
1: Um what about booking like if you're if you're booking to come in for a consult what are some green flags you should be looking out for in your treatment or the way they respond to your request
2: Uh, so i think because you if you're going to be coming to a practice um ongoing it's not just a one-off you're having surgery you're never seen again so um you need to have your questions answered you need to have a good rapport with pretty much everyone that you speak to um i think that the, from the very first phone call or email or inquiry that, um, if you're not getting your questions answered, then uh, you know if someone can't clearly tell you yes, you know, Doctor Taylor does do that operation, and um, you know this is uh, the price and exactly when you're about to get a get a consultation and sort of a time frame on um, surgery and things like that. Like I think. Um, if the practice isn't being really open and um, giving you as much information as you require, obviously the reception staff can't explain surgical procedures and whether you're suitable for said things. Although <laughs> I know there's sometimes that taken
1: a fair crack of the whip <laughs> uh,
2: expectation there, yeah. but um, yeah, that uh, the information that the the first phone call is about is you know what kind of area you're wanting to discuss um, just more so so they can book you with appropriate time um, with Richard or myself. Um, and then, yeah, every interaction that you have with the practice, I think, should be a positive one um, because everyone that's on our end is trying to help you in um, a- as part of your journey and give you all the important information that you require. And, yeah, even if sometimes it's something like, yeah, you're not suitable at the moment. You need to do X XXX, like lose weight or stop smoking, et It's all, It's all for the greater good of your health and your outcome.
0: Right. And this sort of is on the back of, again, this inquiry into the use of social media in um, plastic surgery, which – obviously, I'm, I think is really, really important. And the people who are against it, I think, are totally missing the point. So I had two patients today um, who both had – the first one was very, very open and she said, I've listened to all your, your podcasts, I've, I've watched all your Facebook Lives, I know what you want my weight to be at before I – and I just – I hope I've reached that weight and that I'm, I'm going to be Okay. I, that is miles away from where things were when I started practice. So a patient coming in so well-informed and actually knows what is important. So she was really good because, you know, she was very upfront and she said and she'd reached her target weight and she was a great candidate. The second patient was a little bit more sort of held back and uh, so she came in and she hadn't reached her target weight. And so it's very awkward as your surgeon, because you know, patient comes in, they want you to try and solve their problem, and you want to try and solve their problem. And she was not at a, a weight that I would operate on someone, anyway. So it's 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 quite confronting for for me and for the patient. And so so I go through all of that. And I said, "Look, you're really not at a weight where I can operate." And then she said, "Yeah, look, I've I have watched everything you've said, and like <laughs> I knew you were going to say that." I'm like, "Phew," because it's often a very difficult conversation. And so I, I think that's just such a benefit of you know, being able to com- educate patients before they come in and see us.
2: I saw a patient recently. We were talking about that patients that are self-informed and have followed all of our social media are often much better candidates and much better informed. Whereas, you know someone that I had referred a couple of weeks ago by a GP, you know, please see for tummy tuck and Mm. the GPs referred them and I don't know whether they're just trying to get the patient out of the room as quick as possible but, you know, BMI kind of 35 plus and clearly the plastic surgery is not what they need at this point in time and so it's tricky because then they're like, oh, the GP said that – this operation's going to fix me and it's going to make my diabetes better. And, um, you know, a- again,
1: you're massively on the back put. <laughs> it's
0: a stretch.
2: <laughs> no, it's No, It'll cure seriously. your cancer really? and you'll yeah. sleep better forever. It'll,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, What should happen in a consultation? So like a patient's looking for good things to happen. Like, you know, should they be seeing a doctor or just a nurse or what kind of things will really attract, uh, should put be a big tick in your box after a consultation?
0: All right. So I saw a patient last week who'd seen another plastic surgeon, had a five-minute consultation. That's not great. So what you want is a a surgeon who will either through um, video or in person, because for us they're very, very similar the way we've set it up, um, who will take a history from you. This is basic. This is Medicine 101. Take a history from you, examine you, um, and then go through what your various options are. So for this type of surgery, uh, like it's impossible to do that in definitely under half an hour, and sort of it's somewhere between thirty minutes and sixty minutes for most procedures. There are some things which are maybe a bit simpler, and maybe some things which are a bit more complex. But that'd be the the, the guideline yeah, because, and you know, to answer your question directly, I think to see a doctor, there is some practices. Who have a screening consult with a nurse? Uh, you know, we've kind of considered that model over um, over over the years, and I just I, I just don't think it's a good model. I see patients who have been through that; they're usually not happy, and the surgeon comes in for five minutes at the end. I mean, that's what our training is like. Our training, and everyone everyone is different, and, and there's complexities and subtleties that we're trained to pick up that it would be very difficult to train a nurse in doing it. Um, so I think you want to see the doctor. They, they need to take a full history from you, not just about the problem but general stuff as well, examine you properly um, and then go through what your various options are.
2: And the only thing I'd add to that is um, be able to answer all your questions as well, if not yeah. all of them, 99% of them. Um, and so come, come pre 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 pre. Prepared. <laughs>
0: Don't prepared. try that again.
2: Come prepared <laughs> with uh, oh. come prepared with uh, questions and uh, yeah, it's often a little challenge that I set myself because sometimes people will come in right at the start and be like, okay, I've got all these questions um often about recovery and cost and things like that okay okay let's just do it my way and then i'll go through everything and if you go through your list at the end and if you've got any questions left over then we'll go through them and then they'll invariably look through me and there'll be sometimes there'll be one something curly um or else they'll be like oh yeah you answered all my questions
0: i i think actually what kim is saying is is really valid i think you, you do want to sort of listen to the surgeon and let them go through things. And if you get through it and the majority of your questions have been addressed at the end of the consultation, you are probably at the right place. If you get to the end and you've got a ton of questions and they haven't gone through it, uh, maybe you're not at the right place.
1: Well, because those questions as well, right, are patient-focused. So if you're getting to the end of the consultation and you feel like all they've talked about is price – timelines like when you're going to get in and stuff that kind of pertains to them as a surgeon or a money-making machine then they're not going to answer your questions and your questions are going to be about yourself your safety your results your recovery Mm -hmm. so if they are answering those questions then they've got you at the front of mind and that's who you want to be seeing someone who cares about you not their bottom line
0: so i never never. i never discuss booking i never discuss costs i never none of those things that that's I focus on the medicine, I focus on the surgery, I focus on patient care, that's my role. And I often joke with patients and I say, look, when they ask me about price, they say, look, we've tried it the other way around where our staff talk about the surgery and the, and I talk about the cost and it not doesn't work quite so well.
1: <laughs> They're pretty good at the surgery part, but I'm bad with numbers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what alters us back.
1: Yeah. um oh what a perfect segue to my next question what are quoting green flags I know before we've talked about kind of red flags being you know if they're trying to get you to pay before you've left the room before you've had any like breathing space and they're being really really pushy that's for sure a red flag but what are some other green flags about what like a good quoting price a good quoting system feels like
2: I think I think just that communication that open and honest this this is Often it's broken down into surgeon fee, anaesthetist fee, hospital fee, um, implants if required. Um, And our staff are not here or trained to be upselling you in procedures um, and absolutely no no hidden costs and no... Uh, I know it's supposed to be green flags, but I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if they're trying to be like, no, you pay a deposit today, or you know, one-time special deal, like that, that's not medicine.
0: I, I no, I heard this recently. This is red flag. <laughs> I, someone, a colleague of ours, like close to home, um, was uh, quoted for a like some procedure, a ridiculous amount of. Like something insane, and they said, "But for today, we'll we'll, we'll do it." Like this is the surgeon. Ew, what a gym
1: membership approach! I, it was so surgery. gym membership. Really? If you tell us by five,
0: no, 000? like it was like no. This is the surgeon in the consultation. Oh yuck! It's like like thirty oh. percent less. If you like for you today, oh, especially. Okay. horrible. I don't even, is like? Anything? I'm t- Does like, it sound legal? legal? I'm just <laughs> telling you, high profile. Melbourne plastic surgeon. I mean, what Kim's saying, like it's, it sounds like very obvious for us, and and they don't want to sort of buy a car. It's not not like buying a car. And it's like, other oh, then we can add the the air conditioning, and if you want the sunroof s- the and the sunroof seats. And this is like w- just tell us the price. Like we, yeah, it'd be like going out for dinner and saying, okay, the entree mains is this, the dessert. We we can't quite tell you. We're not sure. We're going to tell you. Depends
1: in- <laughs> how much you eat in the main.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're going to tell you. It uh, to no, exactly right. And yeah. uh, we're gonna. You'll find out after you finish dinner. We're going to send you an invoice a week later. Yeah. And like I've been in fairly robust discussions with one hospital on trying to explain this to them, and they they don't get it. But um, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it.
1: Um, What about – okay, so with pre-op, what kind of care should people be expecting or seeking out specifically?
2: I I think it's just an overall – Feeling like you're being totally cared for, that you're part of the family, that you can approach anyone in the practice from, yeah, it's from the person that's answering the phone to the the person that the surgical coordinator that's uh, giving you a quote, and then back and forward emailing um, or phone calls in terms of arranging dates for surgery. Um, for us as well, we um, proactively get you in to see our nurse about two weeks before your surgical date, so um, that's something that we've probably been doing to five years now I'd say and um yeah the nurse will do measurements for the garments that uh, will provide for you and um, answer any other questions that you have and so you've already usually met her when she's taken your glamour photos beforehand (laughs) um your page three model but um but so you you really have experience with just about everyone in the practice already before you've had the surgery so that if there's any issues whatsoever afterwards you know that it's super easy to be able to pick up the phone email that you've already had contact with most of these people before and that's the kind of journey that we want to offer our patients so it's not purely about yet yeah, the operation it's it's knowing that you have adequate information beforehand um and super
1: awesome care afterwards We are very understanding that this is probably your first big surgery um, and that, you know, it's not something that you do every week and giving you the support and that you don't feel brushed off or dismissed and that no question is stupid or unfounded. Like we will answer everything, um, whether that has to be sent. Surgeons will send me messages from operating theatre to let me know. Like we will go to the nth degree to make sure that You feel comfortable in your pre-op so that you can feel as prepared as possible by the time your surgery comes around. What about post-op? How many times should a patient be seen by their doctor after surgery?
0: Look, uh, the standard would for us would usually be nurse at one week, one of us at two weeks, six weeks, three months, and then maybe another six months or something like that. But it's it's very flexible, like. If I'm happen to be here and I see you at week one and everything's going great, I'll say don't need to see you for another two weeks. Um, if I for some reason happen to see you at four weeks and everything's great, then I'll say say need to see it three months. If everything's not great and I need to see you every day one. or every week, I'll see you every day, every week. So there's sort of like we've got a sort of a standard process, but you know, it's it's very variable depending on, you know, how, how your journey is. I, I saw a patient today, I think she was a week after a tummy tuck and she said, she was just, is it meant to be this easy? She said, Cause I, because <laughs> I, I, like, uh, I'm triggering. on the Facebook... <laughs> I'm on the Facebook and, like, people talk about all this pain and they can't do this. And she said, I, like, I feel, like, fine. Like, is this okay? Oh, <laughs> like, my God, that's so funny. Um, sure. So it's fine. And so, like, you know, I don't think I'm seeing it. I'm maybe seeing it for two weeks just to check her wounds, but she's flying at a week. But that's not everyone's experience.
1: If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And while you're there,
1: why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at RePlastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.